All right, who's excited to be at church today? Come on, let's hear it, right? Thank God we get to be at church together. We get to celebrate Jesus together. We get to get closer to him and closer to each other. Uh, isn't emotion an incredible thing? There are certain words, just one word that has to be spoken to draw certain emotion out of us. And I'm not talking about surfacey emotion. I'm talking about those words that drop out deep emotion, like bacon. Come on, come on. Somebody say amen in church today, right? Come on. Bacon, right? One of those words. Another word that draws emotion out of some of us right here and right now today is the word Yankee. Some of that. I just like there's something that comes out, right? I, a, few, a few years ago, I made fun of the Yankees from the stage. And to my own credit, I also made fun of the Mets in this very same service. But after the service, one of you came up to me very upset that I had made fun of the Yankees. Somebody said, hey, do not make fun of my Yankees. And I kind of laughed and waited for them to laugh, but they never did. And then I didn't see you for a while. You weren't really around. So you, you Yankees fans are pretty serious. But my therapist says I'm almost past it, so that's awesome. But um, another word that emotes emotion, the word... Mets, the word Mets, right? Oh man, everyone clapped for Yankees and we got nothing for Mets because that's, that's, unfortunately, that's about the way it goes, right? I mean, my family and I are Mets fans. I was very proud of my son today wearing the Mets shirt while he was up on stage. I didn't orchestrate that, but there it was. And man, it just brings out certain emotion in us. My sister married a Yankee fan and she traded teams on. She traded sides on us. And I probably one day will talk to her again, um, aiming for about 2030 or so. I'm going to get there. Um, and some other words that draw out emotion, just all I have to say is this one word and something comes out of you. Republican. Just, okay. All right. Yeah. A Democrat. Some more emotion, right? Just kind of drawn out of us. Just a simple word. Here's a good one. Christmas. Christmas, right? That, that pulls some emotion out of you and I. Ice cream. That draws emotion out of me and you, doesn't it? Well, what emotion do you feel when I say the word Father? It's a whole different level of emotion, isn't it? What do you feel when I say the word Father? There are very few words that draw such deep emotion out of us as that one simple word. And some of us picture different things when we think about that word. Some of us picture a loving face, a kind face, a smiling face, right? Some of us picture the face that was on the other side of the camcorder at the dance recital. Some of us picture the, the, the dad cheering out on the baseball field when we first got on base. And dads can be pretty intense when it comes to the first time their son gets on the baseball field, isn't it, right? You know, that's my son out there, right? I mean, dude, he just hit a ball off a tee, right? He's four, okay? It went past nine other four-year-olds. The entire infield was watching a squirrel, and the entire outfield was picking their nose. Like, relax, okay? But that's my boy, right? And so some of you picture that. Some of you guys picture something else. You see an angry face. You see a disappointed face. Maybe you see an addicted face. Maybe for, for, for you, overall, you had a good dad, but there's just this one moment that it's almost not even fair to hold them to that one moment, but there's this one moment, and that one moment is really what you see. Even though, overall, pretty good dad, but there was just that one thing that took place, and that's what you kind of remember more than anything else. Others of us see no face at all. We never met him. He took off. He passed away. Or maybe he wasn't physically absent, but he might as well have been because he wasn't at the dance recitals and he wasn't at the baseball games. What face do you see? Well, let me tweak the question, okay? What face do you see? What picture do you see? What emotion do you feel when I say the words, God the Father? 
or heavenly father. I can tell you what some of you guys, some of you guys see the old man from home alone. Some of you guys picture the old man when you think about God the father, right? Like he's just kind of mean and cranky and he's armed. <laughs> he's, he's ready to get you if he has to, right? What about uh, some of the rest of you guys, man? Some of you guys picture Gandalf, don't you? Come on, from Lord of the Rings, like you just picture Gandalf. He's kind and yet can be intense when he needs to be. Some of us in the room, though, we picture Thanos, don't we? This, this powerful, scary, cold, calculating, heartless being, right? What do you see? What do you feel? What do you picture when I say those words, Heavenly Father? What do you picture? Old, gray, angry, cranky, mean, kind? Who do you picture? Who do you think of? What do you feel? What emotion do you feel when I say Heavenly Father or God the Father? Last week, we really centered on Jesus. We centered on the Son. We centered on this amazing Savior, and we said that Christ became a curse so we could become a child, right? And today, I want to talk about the Father. I want to talk about God the Father's role in this. And some of you guys are thinking, wow, cool, God the Father, let's go, I'm in. Some of you guys are thinking, oh no, uh, I, I guess I'll be all right, man. I guess I'll get through it. I don't have the greatest, you know, indication of, of what a father is. I, don't have the, I didn't have the best representation of what an earthly father was, that's for sure, but, but I'll get through it, Doug. And some of us are just going, no, Doug, please, no, please. I don't want to think about the father. I don't want to think about my father. I don't want to think about God as a father because it's just too painful. It puts knots in my stomach. So what if I told you today, guys, that our freedom is linked with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Right here in the series, we're talking about the freedom that God wants us to walk in. And the truth is, is our freedom is linked heavily to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so today, we want to come around this idea. And yet, there's a lot of baggage we have to work through. Millennials are actually known as the fatherless generation. I don't know if you knew that. The fatherless generation. So some of us, men, we're wrestling with this, and, and this whole concept of God the Father is largely influenced by our earthly father. Even the best dads in the world left some kind of a father wound, they call it, in our lives, right? And maybe it was outside of their control. Maybe it was because they were ill for a long season, or maybe it's how they passed away, or how suddenly they passed away, or, or maybe it was something outside their control, like they had to work so much just to get food on the table that they weren't there like they maybe wanted to be, right? But even the best dads often leave a father wounds, we have something to kind of work through. And it's funny, even those who have it all, man, even these, these hot shots, these people who seem to you know, just have everything together and have all the things that they want and are famous and have everything at their fingertips, they become very vulnerable when you bring up this idea of their father. I'm going to mention what three different people had to say about their dads, and I'm not going to say their names, but you would recognize them all. They all sell out stadiums. They are all a huge deal. They've all won you know, various awards. And here's what one of them had to say. My parents' struggles, it's the subject of my life. It's the thing that eats at me and always will. These wounds or those wounds stay with you. Another guy whose dad abandoned him at six months old, these are, these are some of his song lyrics. He said, I wonder if he even kissed me goodbye. No, on second thought, I just wish he would die. This last person was interviewed by Rolling Stones and and, and then he's, this is what he's had to say about his parents. And, and again, everyone in this room would know this, the name of this guy. They wouldn't hold you. They wouldn't say they loved you. I was afraid of my father. I was walking on eggshells the whole time trying to get his approval. Think, of that, think about this. It's powerful. He's been dead for a long time. I'm still trying to prove things to him. And some of us are right there, right? Or maybe they're still living. We're still trying to prove things to them. 
He talked about then how his father touched him most when he was beating him. He says, my mom always says, that's just the way we did it in those days, and it didn't affect you. And I'd say, what are you talking about? It affects me every day. So we carry a lot of baggage from that earthly relationship. But man, today we've got to make sure we're not carrying that over to our relationship with God the Father because our freedom is on the line. Our freedom depends on it. Let me say it this way. You will never walk in the freedom God has for you if you don't fully embrace your heavenly Father. And some of us today have our heavenly Father at arm's length because of the pain and the wounds that we might experience and feel from our earthly fathers. And maybe some of you had a great earthly dad, but you're still like, I don't really get this whole concept of this heavenly father and God the father and what's that all about. And so we're going to look at this today. And, and I know I had said we were headed somewhere else today, but as I was working through the idea for this week, I just really felt like we're supposed to stop and pause and spend some time on this because Paul links our freedom with our heavenly father. I don't know what your view is of God if you're not a follower of Jesus here today. I don't know what your relationship with your earthly father was like. But I hope today that you'll discover along with us a clear picture of who God actually is. And so we're continuing to learn about our freedom in God as we work through Galatians. And Galatians 4 verse 1 says this. Paul says, What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. Paul is saying, hey, I want you to imagine a child. And I want you to imagine this child is waiting for the day that they will inherit what their parents or their father has for them. And he says, hey, this child, while they're in that waiting period, they're not free. They're like a slave, okay? So in this illustration, I don't know if you picked up on it yet, you and I are the child. We are the child in this story, okay? And then Paul goes on a little bit more. Verse 2, he says, The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So the child, you and I, we're restrained or we're under the authority of something until the time comes that we're given the great gift. And the, the child is you and me in the story, but the, the authority or the trustee or the guardian is the law. It's the rules, right? And this is what we've been talking about through this whole series, that God gave the law and gave the rules to protect us and to keep us and to restrain us from doing the wrong things until the right time came. And the mistake the Galatians were making, and you and I sometimes make, is we try to save ourselves. We turn these laws into the means of our salvation. Or we take the other route and we run towards sin, the very sin that cost our Savior his life. But you and I were slaves to the law. And we were restrained by the law or held back by the law. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been driving and you were really kind of in a hurry and so you saw a light approaching and that light was yellow and so what did you do? You sped up, right? right? Nobody slows down, right? So you sped up and, you, and you're, you, man, you were counting on making this light and as you got closer, suddenly it turned red and now you start thinking, okay, what should I do here? And then you looked up and saw what? A camera, right? You saw the camera and a whole different way of thinking entered your mind and you slammed, slammed on your brakes. And everything that was in the back of the car is now in the front of the car, even the stuff that came out of the place that I like to call the abyss. You know what the abyss is, right? It's the place between your seat and the center console, right? If you drop a fry down there, you better get another one out of the package. If you drop your phone down there, buy a new one. If somehow your child falls down there, have another one, okay? (laughs) Nothing comes out of the abyss. 
You'll slam on your brakes. Only in that moment do those things come out. It's like that can of cheese whiz you were looking for a month ago. Oh, that's where it went, right? And everything is in the front. Well, what has just happened? You have just been restrained by the law, right? You've been restrained by the rules. And that's what the law is. Guys, nobody wants to live that way. Nobody wants to go through life wondering, looking up at the camera, am I going to get caught if I break this law, right? And that's what it's like to try to earn your own salvation. But it's funny because some of us are dodging the camera. We're not looking at the camera going, okay, I better comply. We're, we're trying to make sure we drive around the backside of the camera so no one can see us, right? And so I don't know where you're struggling in your freedom today, but Paul is reminding us, man, that trying to save ourselves or keep the law, man, was a huge weighty restraint on us. And then he says this, so also... When we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Now, that is a loaded verse. And what it probably means is that we were under the weighty restraint of the law. And also the tempter, Satan, was trying to drag us away from doing things that God had called us to do. So there's a lot going on here in this verse. But basically, if I could just paraphrase it all by saying we were owned. We were owned at this point in human history. We were owned by the law. We were owned by the enemy. We couldn't keep the rules. We couldn't do the right thing. We were owned. That's where we were. I don't know if you've ever been owned before. It's not fun. This past year on our men's retreat, after a long drive to Pennsylvania and then setting up the meeting room and then getting to make sure that you know, the guest speaker was ready and had what he needed to do. And then we had a night session and then we went to the snack shop and we hung out. And around midnight, I was walking back toward my room and I saw the gym lights on. And my son was on the trip, so I thought, hey, maybe I'll go say goodnight to Kate. I'm sure he's in there playing. I was shot. And so I walk into the gym and they're just making teams for basketball. And everyone said, Doug, you have to play with us. And I looked down. I'm wearing jeans. I'm like shot. I'm like, all right. And so I jump in and I play basketball. And we, around 12 o'clock midnight there on the trip, are going for it. And I am like dying. I'm like, the worst part of it, though, was I was paired up against Anthony Carra. He, he helped lead worship last Sunday. He's one of our interns. Great guy. And Anthony turned into LeBron stinking James that night. He had the game of his life. Now, he's a good athlete, but this was another level. And I mean, he would just drive, and it would go in. He'd like trip and fall, and it would hit the wall and go in, and he would just like throw behind his back under his leg. I mean, it was horrible. And I was owned, badly, badly owned in that game. In fact, after the game, somebody said, you know, Doug's team won, but Anthony was the MVP. And I left, man, and I was dying I was like my legs became leotards they were like so nasty wet and gross and no one wants that image and 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 so I didn't even know how to change it was I was exhausted you know when you're so tired you're just exuding heat well I didn't care about all that all I cared about most was I just got owned and that's what the law was doing to us and that's what the enemy was doing to us at this time in human history how would we find freedom he goes on verse four But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Now listen, we focus on the son. We focus on Jesus, and that's right. I mean, our our mission here at this church is to help people center their lives around Jesus. It's right that we focus on Jesus and the son. But man, we have to come around the idea of whose plan it was, right? When you and I were slaves to the law, when we were restrained by the camera or avoiding the camera, so that God couldn't catch us, we thought, we 
were in serious trouble, but who sent the Son? Whose plan was it? Whose heart broke for those of us who were restrained by the law and stuck in the law and headed toward death? Are you seeing he's not cold and he's not distant? Are you seeing he's not cruel? Are you seeing God the Father's not heartless? Again, I don't know what your relationship is with your earthly father or how that's kind of messed that true image of the father up for you. But I'm telling you today that you and I have to come around the true father who had a plan to rescue you and me, who without that plan, there would not have been salvation that you and I enjoy. There would not have been the freedom that the book of Galatians talks about. There's a story told about three sons, three brothers who went off to war together in World War I, and they all disappeared. And after they disappeared, their mom, because of the, the broken heart that she had, took her own life, and so it just left their dad. And so their dad went out looking, searching for his sons, just trying to find them, and he, every little clue he could find, every diary he could find, every person he could talk with, he would, he would chase them down and try to find his three sons. And as he was in this pursuit, he spoke with an officer in the army, and he said, can you help me find my sons? And he pleaded with them, and he begged with them, and, and the officer turned him down. And so the major, one of the majors went up to him after the, 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 the father had walked out, and he said, why won't you help this man find his sons? And the officer said, I can't help every father who's out looking for their lost sons. And then the major said this, yes, but he's the only father who came looking. Guys, we have the only father who was looking I don't know what you think about God. I don't know who you think God is. I don't know uh, if you think all religions you know, lead to the same place. We have the only Father, the only God, the only one who was caring enough, who was looking after, who was invested in your salvation, your freedom. That's our Father. I don't know who yours was, but that's our Heavenly Father. And that's what He's like. And that's how tuned in He is. And that's how big His heart is for you and me. He devised an unthinkable plan to send his son to rescue us. Then it says this, born of a woman, born under the law. So Jesus was born under the same law you and me were born under. And, and, and the whole struggle we had to keep that law, we couldn't keep it. Jesus kept it, right? And he lived that life perfectly for you and for me. He kept all the rules we couldn't keep. And then he was punished in our place for all the rules we couldn't keep. Why would he do this? Verse 5, to redeem those under the law, to rescue you and me, and to buy us back. Have you thought about your condition lately? Have you thought about what a big plan the Father has put into place to purchase your freedom? There's two guys, Timothy Hoffner and Archie Dixon, awaiting execution. These two guys are sitting on death row. What they did was is they beat their roommate. They drove him out into the middle of the woods, and then they buried him alive. And so these guys are waiting execution. Here's what I could tell you. I would never send one of my children to die in either of their places. These guilty men who did this horrific crime, I would never imagine, I could never imagine doing anything like that. And yet our father looked at you and me in our guilt and in our shame and said, I will send my son. That is unthinkable. You parents in the room, you get that. You feel that, right? This is the father that we have. The father who endured the horrific crucifixion of his sons. For what? That we might receive adoption 
to sonship. We, beget, we get to become children. We, we get to become his sons and his daughters, no longer living in fear and shame, no longer wondering if this traffic light is catching us in our sins, so to speak, if it saw us, broke that rule, so to speak. No, instead, we're now children and sons and daughters. We're no longer separated. Guys, we have a father. Some of you might say, man, if they could have just used any other word, if they could have just said God is this or God is God the Spirit. I mean, all right, Holy Spirit over here. We got Jesus over there. Could we call them something else? Why did it have to be Father? But today, are you seeing the kind of Father that he is? Verse 6, because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. Sons and daughters. Because we're his sons and daughters, God sent his spirit into our heart. And the Holy Spirit now lives in us. And do you know what that means? The Holy Spirit in Scripture is called the deposit or the guarantee or it's called the earnest. What does that mean? It means that God the Father was saying, okay, so that they know I'm serious about this plan. So they know that I've actually purchased them and they are mine and and they belong to me, sons and daughters. I'm giving the Holy Spirit as this deposit the word in the Greek is arabon. Go ahead, say that. Arabon. Say it all. Go ahead. All right. Here's what it means. It's a pledge. It's part of the purchase money or property given in advance as security for the rest. Can I tell you something? You in your own strength may not be calling out, oh, Father. You in your own strength. You, you may say Jesus when you pray. You may say, Holy Spirit, come fill me in a new way. You may not have ever in your life said, Father, and pray to God the Father. But here's what i got to tell you. The Holy Spirit in you is a deposit from the Father. And look at what the Holy Spirit does in you. This is going to be a game changer for some of us. Verse 6, because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, and the Spirit calls out what? Abba, Father. Abba literally means dad. It's that close, intimate word, dad, right? So the Holy Spirit in you right now, that thing that the Father gave you as a guarantee, as a deposit to say, you are mine, you're my child, I've redeemed you, I've rescued you, that same Spirit, though you may have never uttered the word yourself, is calling out, Abba, Father. Guys, there is something in you, and it's the very Spirit of God longing for the Father, longing for closeness with the Father. And I believe, even though this isn't really the point of the message, that, man, there is more going on in our life because of some brokenness with our Father than we realize. And if we would embrace our Heavenly Father, we could find such healing and freedom. And so Paul continues to remind us this is the the Father who planned our salvation. This is the Father who sent the Son. This is the Father who redeemed us. This is the Father who sent the Holy Spirit into our lives, and that very Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. Is your picture of your Heavenly Father changing today? I pray that it is, because your freedom is linked to your Father. Verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. You are no longer the slave being restrained by the law. And again, next week, I hope, as long as the Holy Spirit allows us, we're actually going to finally talk about what I've been promising. We're going to talk about for several weeks this idea of, man, how do we do the right thing? And how does it look to do the right thing without trying to earn our salvation? And what is that all about? And how can we be empowered to do the right thing? We're going to get there, I think, next week. But today, 
we're recognizing that this law is no longer restraining us. And guys, you have, please hear me, you have a perfect heavenly father. You have a perfect heavenly father. None of us had an earthly father. I'm blessed. I have a very awesome earthly father. But none of us have a perfect father. But we have a perfect heavenly father. And you are the child of a perfect father. Some of us need to begin to walk in that. To walk in that acceptance. Again, not really the point of the message, but to walk in that acceptance, to walk in that security that we're loved. Like that artist said earlier, my dad's been dead a long time. I'm still trying to earn his approval. We don't earn the approval of this father. We've been given the approval of our heavenly father. And guys, I understand the pain of seeing somebody in your life that you're still trying to please. You're still trying to win that approval even if they're already gone. But man, whose approval should matter more than our heavenly fathers? And then it says this, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. What does that mean? It means that everything in God's bank account is also yours. What's in God's bank account? Love, joy, peace, freedom. Freedom. Guys, freedom from the constant toiling to try to make it right. Freedom from running away and and trying to hide from God, freedom from all of that. Freedom to just be his and be secure in who God is. And Paul then goes on to say, as we continue through Galatians 4, I'm going to summarize some of it for you. He then goes on to say, guys, listen, if you are the child of the Father, then why would you try to save yourself? Why would you try to work your way into the family? You already belong. Your father has already put that perfect plan of salvation into place, and you can live securely in that. In fact, that's what I want you to see here this morning. Living in the security of our father's love empowers us to walk in freedom. Can we come around that together today? That living in that secure place, living in that place where we're not striving and we're also not running We're just secure in who our Father is. Living in that secure place, we can walk in the freedom that God longs for us so badly to walk in. Deeper was Thursday night. And it's kind of comical. It just tells you how busy Kelly and I have been. On Wednesday night, we finally started talking about what her message was going to be about and the message she had been preparing all along and and what my message was going to be about here today. and so I said, uh, yeah, this week I'm going to be talking about God the Father. She went, wow, I'm kind of talking about that too. And I said, oh, that's crazy. And she said, are you bringing up the prodigal son? I said, I sure am. She said, wow, me too. Now, years ago, that would have made me want to change today. Really. I said, oh, well, there's going to be like 70 women at Deeper. They're all going to hear about God the Father. And I'm not going to give up. And talk. But now I've learned, no, I think God just really wants us to come around this. I think God is trying to get our attention on this. The Father is trying to say, sons and daughters, let's really, really sink our teeth into who you are, secure in me. And so I'm going to very quickly just summarize the story that is so famous, that so many of us know, but we need to feel it and see it in a new way today. And so the son says to the father, I want my inheritance now. I'm going to go do what I want with it. Basically saying to the father, you're as good as dead to me. And he runs, and and many of us know the story. He ends up in all kinds of sin. He ends up in horrific debt. He ends up so broken and, and beaten up that he ends up living with and eating with farm animals. But the day comes, he comes 
home. He comes back to that familiar field. Have you gone back to your childhood house? Have you ever driven through your childhood neighborhood and and you start to just remember and feel what you felt then? And imagine what the son is feeling as he comes back in this horrible condition. And what I love is, what does the scripture say? It tells us the father sees the son. I don't know about you, that That kind of makes me think like maybe this was part of the father's habit. Maybe it was part of the father's habit to stand out in that field every day waiting for the son to return. But he's standing there and and, and what does the father do? Does he stand there for a minute and then turn his back on the son and go in and lock the door? You say, well, that's what my earthly father would have done. But that's not what this father did. Did he stand there and fold his arms with a look of disappointment? We can all remember the look of disappointment on our father's face, can't we? we? We just see it. We know it. It's so obvious to us. It's so clear to us. We know exactly what dad was feeling in that moment. No, no, no. I don't know if that's what your earthly dad would have did. If you would have done if you came running back, a mess, broken, broke, having forsaken him. But that's not what this father did. No, this father. Through the field. Didn't care what condition the son was coming back in. Didn't care what laws he had broken. Didn't care if his pocket was full or empty. Didn't care what he smelled like. Didn't care what he had done to the family name. Went running and embraced him and welcomed him back as a son. Dad is our Heavenly Father. And that is the security that we can live in that leads to freedom. And so how do we respond to this? What do we do when this is the Father that we have and yet maybe it's not the Father we grew up with? What do we do when we think about the laws and and the camera that's watching? What do we do when we try to avoid that camera that's watching? How does this work? Well, When you want to run back to the rules, remember the God who runs to you. If that's where you are today and you're like, no, 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 I'm going to do this. Okay, Doug, I heard all you had to say, but I'm still going to try to earn my own salvation. I'm going to still help Jesus. It's that old formula of Jesus and I'm going to still make sure I do all the things I need to do to make sure that I'm accepted by him. No, when you're tempted to run to those rules, man, you remember the God who ran to you, who made you his own. And on the other side of it, when you're tempted to run to your sin, remember the God who runs to you. Let that empower you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, I could go do these things, but man, there is a Savior who came because a father planned my salvation, and this father ran to me. This is the only one who came looking for me. Why would I run to the sin that put my Savior on the cross? Why would I run to my sin that caused my father such pain as he watched his son endure that cross? Now I'm going to be secure in him. I'm going to look the law in the face and say, I'm good, I'm secure in my Father. I'm going to look the sin in the face and say, no, I'm good, I'm secure in my Father. And it's in that freedom we find freedom from the law that we can't keep and the sin that always breaks us. Next week we'll continue to talk about walking in the way that God would have and see how he empowers us to do it. But I pray today your understanding of who your father is has changed. Years ago, rescue workers worked for 12 hours to try to recover any survivors of a building collapse. 
and they uncovered concrete and concrete pillars and all types of rubble, and they found one survivor, one last survivor, after uncovering a few more, and it was deep down. And it was a three-year-old girl who was embraced in the arms of her dead father. And her father had taken the weight of the concrete that fell to sustain this little one and make sure she could live. And the rescue workers that day said this, the child was able to survive entirely thanks to the fact that her dad used his own flesh and blood to prop up a life-saving space for his daughter. Our Heavenly Father did the only thing more difficult than that. To give your life would be, you would think, the most difficult thing someone could do for another, but no, he did the one thing that's harder, and you parents in the room get it, he, he sent his son, his child, and it was his flesh and blood that rescued you and me. The only reason we could live, I could not fathom ever watching one of my children die. I would die in their place a thousand times before I let them give their life for another. And yet our Heavenly Father watched as they crucified His Son so that you could walk in freedom. Let's stay free. Let's pray together. God, Today, we thank you, Father. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for who you are. We thank you, you are not an old, grumpy, angry man. We thank you, you are not passive. We thank you, you are not all-powerful but heartless. We thank you today that you are the perfect Father. And God, I want to pray right now for the people in this room who have huge father wounds. And I pray, Father, that you would be the father to them that maybe they never had. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would bind up those broken hearts. I pray for even those of us who were blessed with great dads. There are still things that we maybe carry into today and into our view of you, Father, that we need freedom from. And so I, before we take a step further, I just pray over each and every one of us today, God, that we would walk in the healing that you desire for us to walk in. And we thank you, God, that you're a very different dad than our earthly dad. And God, now we remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit in us cries out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit, the one the Father sent, the one the Father placed in us as a deposit of what he was promising to do. Oh God, we now come along with the Holy Spirit and we cry out, Abba, Father. I encourage you today to pray to the Father specifically right now. Some of us are great with Jesus. Some of us are like, All right, I don't really even understand the Holy Spirit, but I'll take him. But, but man, this Father I've had at arm's length. No, would you please right now pray to your heavenly father would you say the words oh heavenly father would you say the word abba dad let me walk in the freedom and the healing that you have for me if you're not a follower of jesus and you want to put your trust in this amazing god that we're talking about today the one who came looking for you the one who sent his son 
to do the unthinkable for us. I would encourage you to begin a conversation with Jesus right now. He wants you to be his child. He's a perfect dad. So would you begin to just pray with me, just silently. You could say something like this. Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me. And Father, thank you so much for this plan of salvation. And Father, thank you for adopting me and making me your child. And thank you that all you have is mine. Jesus, show me how to walk close to you. Thank you for this gift of salvation. Our heart as a team is to pray for you if you prayed that for the first time today. And so would you just quickly look me in the eye if you prayed that for the very first time today so I'd be praying for you. Anybody do that here this morning? Anybody else? Anybody here today on this other side? Thank you, God, for all that you're doing. Thank you for all that you're healing. Thank you for the freedom that you've purchased for us, God. And so, God, today we want to walk in the security of that freedom so that we can truly enjoy all that Jesus has purchased for us. In your name.